Welcome to the St. James Sermon Podcast. We are so glad to have you with us. Hi, my name is Wayne Darbo and I'm pastor here at St. James. And I want to invite you to join me as we dive into God's Word together in Luke chapter 10, beginning with verse 38. Hear God's Word. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, they came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You are worried and upset by many things, but few things are needed, and indeed, only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. Would you join me in prayer? Our Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this encounter with Jesus. And Lord, just as Jesus came into Martha's home, Lord, would you now come into our home, wherever we are, and come into our hearts? Would you reveal, Lord, your heart's desire for us as we not only interact with your word, but as we interact and encounter you? We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I want to begin by stating something so obvious that it's tragic when it's missed where it matters most. See, almost everything in our lives is made for a purpose. It's made for a primary purpose. It has a chief end and purpose. So, for example, a chair is made with the primary purpose for people to sit. A pair of scissors is made to be able to cut. A vase is made to be able to hold flowers. Uh, An exercise bike is made to be able to hang clothes on. You see, no matter what the primary purpose is for anything that we might come up with, there are other purposes that it can be used for. There are many uses and ways that we can use a chair other than people sitting in it. There are many different ways that we can use a vase other than it holding flowers. There are many ways that that an exercise bike can be used other than holding clothes. I mean, some have been so creative even to use it to exercise. And yet, no matter how something is used, it doesn't take away from the primary purpose for which it has been created. See, you and I have been made for a purpose. You you and I have been made for a primary purpose. And as we talk about the purpose in our life, the meaning of our life, that we may have different answers for it, but the reality is every single person has been made with a primary purpose. And we may have different ways of expressing and living that purpose out, but we have the same purpose 
You know, about 500 years ago, there was a group of people that got together and, and they put together what's called the Westminster Catechism. And it was just a fancy way of saying that here are some questions and answers and ways to understand our lives, our world, other people, even God. Ways that we can understand reality in healthy ways. And in the very first question that was asked was what is the chief end, what is the primary purpose of humanity? And the answer was to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. To glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. You see, the primary purpose that you and I have been created for is to have a dynamic relationship with God. And that purpose shapes everything else that we do or can shape everything else that we do. It is the primary purpose. It is the chief end of why you and I exist. Right now, we are in the season of Lent. It's a season that Christians celebrate as we anticipate and look forward to Holy Week and ultimately the resurrection on Easter Sunday. It's a season where Christians recalibrate our lives. It's a season where we discover again what it means to follow Jesus. And right here in the center of the Gospel of Luke, there is story after story where Jesus is training his disciples about what it means to be his disciple, what it means to glorify God and enjoy him forever, what it means to live into the purpose for which you were created. And we see that here as Jesus is, is entering into this village with his disciples. And we discover that there is a woman named Martha who opens her home to him. And as Jesus enters into her space, enters into her home, she has a sister named Mary there who is sitting at Jesus' feet. And it's a powerful imagery because to sit at someone's feet is another way of saying to become a disciple to sit at someone's feet. And yet what stri and what's striking here is that Jesus enters into the home of this woman. And here he's making disciples of these two women. See, disciples in Jesus' day were only made with men, that rabbis would have men as disciples. But Jesus blew those doors wide open and he knew that everyone is called to live in the fullness of the purpose of what God has created us for. Every single one of us is made in the image of God and for the purpose of having a relationship, a dynamic relationship with the living God. And so Jesus is there with these two women. But what we discover is only one of these women, women is fully there with Jesus. As Jesus is there, Martha is busy. She's busy uh, around the house. She's busy living into the expectations of hospitality. We're told uh, that she is busy making preparations, that she's worried and that she's upset and she's even distracted. And yet she grows upset at Mary, her sister, who is sitting at Jesus' feet. Both women are praying because that's what prayer is, is in many ways, isn't it? As Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet, she's listening to Jesus. That's an important part of prayer. 
But Martha is distracted, we're told, and she cries out in prayer. She cries out to Jesus. That's another expression of prayer, isn't it? And she cries out, Jesus, don't you care that, that Mary isn't helping me out, that I'm doing all the work myself? Tell her to get up and help me. You see, that's a prayer. And Jesus answers her prayer, but not in the way that she hopes. Jesus looks to Martha and he says, Martha, Martha, and to repeat her name is to call out to her with love and affection. Martha, Martha, you are so busy, you are so distracted, you're so worried and upset. Now, for those who may know this story, I mean, Martha often gets a bad rap in this, doesn't she? That Martha is busy trying to be hospitable. I mean, Jesus, God incarnate, has come into her home. How would you and I respond? How would you and I react if Jesus, God in the flesh, knocked on your door and said, may I come in? And as he enters into your home, you may, you may feel like, oh, I need to pick up a little bit. I need to clean up a little bit. I need to make sure the house is okay and the yard is okay. And I need to prepare some food for him. And I want to be hospitable. And we become distracted doing things for Jesus that we miss the fact that Jesus is there with us. You see, Jesus is, is there to be in relationship to develop that relationship with Martha and Mary. That Jesus isn't concerned about the home. Jesus created the universe. Jesus isn't concerned about the yard. That Rocky Mountain National Park is his yard. The Swips Alps is his yard. That he has created everything. He isn't even concerned about the food that he was able to take a Lunchable of a small boy and feed five thousand people. You see, what Jesus wanted and wants is a relationship with Martha and Mary. And yet we can often find ourselves spiritually getting busy, keeping ourselves busy, because when Jesus gets too close, it might feel uncomfortable. We might feel inadequate. We might feel embarrassed. We might feel broken. We might feel like we don't deserve it. And Jesus invites Mar Martha to come close. And he says, there is one thing that matters. And Mary is there receiving that. And so Jesus answers Martha, Martha's prayer with a hard no because he wants to invite Martha into the very same kind of dynamic relationship with him. You see, relationship is about communication. It's about interacting with one another, and that's why it's no accident that Luke immediately goes into Jesus' teaching on prayer. That just as he invites Martha and Mary to sit at his feet and to listen to him and to interact for them to be able to pour their hearts out, so Jesus' own disciples again and again saw Jesus praying. He was always turning to, God, turning to God. He was always turning to the Father, so much so that his disciples asked him, Lord, teach us to pray. And in the beginning of Luke 1, the very next verses, Jesus says, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. 
Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Jesus gives this powerful teaching on prayer. And Luke's version is shorter than the the Lord's Prayer that's given in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. But the essence is the same. And as Jesus gives this teaching on prayer, he's giving this this teaching on how it is that we can have a close, dynamic relationship with the Father just as he does. He He begins by saying, Father, hallowed be your name. Holy is your name. There is no one like you. And as Jesus is giving these words, he's saying, you don't have to pray these exact words. He's giving a model for prayer. And so as we look at Jesus' other prayers, we see that Jesus doesn't always pray these exact words, but the essence is the same. Holy is your name. Holy are you, God. There is just none like you, basking in the goodness of God. And then he says, your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. Your desire be done. Your will be done. Your kingdom be done in my life. Your kingdom be done in my relationships. Lord, your kingdom be done in my marriage if you're married, in my children if you have children, in my friendships Lord, your kingdom be done in my home. Your kingdom be done on my streets and in my community. Your kingdom be done in our church. Your kingdom be done in our city. Your kingdom be done in our state. Your kingdom be done in our country. Your kingdom be done in this world. Your kingdom be done in places of injustice. Your kingdom be done in the face of pandemics. Your kingdom come. And to be able to pray boldly for God's purposes and for God's will. And then he invites us to continue to pray with that same kind of boldness. Give us this day our daily bread. Praying like those who cried out in the Exodus, praying for manna. Give us our daily bread. And that word bread not just doesn't only mean bread, but it means our food, our provision, that, that God is our, our provider. He is Jehovah Jireh, the one who provides, that everything we have is from him. And then he says, forgive us our sins as we forgive everybody who sins against us. Lord, forgive my sins and empower me to forgive those who sin against me. Help me not only to receive your grace and your forgiveness, which I so desperately need, but to be a dispenser of your grace and your forgiveness to everyone around me. That's only possible by you. And then lastly, lead us not into temptation. That not only does he forgive us our past, not only does he provide us for our present, but lead us into the future. Lead us not into temptation, but to follow you in this. I mean, there's a boldness and an audacity to this. And how is it that you and I can approach God with such boldness? How is it that we can dare to approach God with such boldness when we may feel like failures or we may feel inadequate or we may feel like, who am I that God would listen to me? And the secrets, one of the key secrets to prayer is that how Jesus begins this prayer. He says, Father. 
He says, Father, just like in Matthew's version of the Lord's Prayer, our Father. And you see, it's so powerful, it's no accident that Jesus says, when you pray, say, Father. See, how do you think of God? Is God distant? Is God up there ready to judge and condemn and to push people down? Or is he our heavenly Father? You see, Jesus uses this imagery of Father because there is no other relationship that is so unconditional than that of a loving parent. That a loving parent has unconditional love for their children. And I recognize some of us may not have parents who showed us, human parents who showed us unconditional love. We may struggle with relationships that we have with our parents, our father and or our mother. But you see, the good news here is Jesus invites us to redeem even the idea of the fallenness of our own experiences of parents or as parents. That God is perfect. He is loving. He offers us his unconditional love and access. Isn't that one of the things that distinguishes a parent? That no matter who your parent is, if your parent is a king or a queen, some kind of royalty that very few people have access to, if your parent was the president of the United States, I mean, very few people have access to the president. Only other people who are powerful, other people who have influence, other people who have what the president is interested in, unless you are the child of that president. That even at two o'clock in the morning, if you have a need, you can call on the parent, on your heavenly father and say, dad, I need you. And he will be there in the same way. Jesus calls us to pray saying father. And as I thought about this, I thought about how did Jesus refer to God in his prayers? And so this week I looked up all of Jesus prayers that we see in the Gospels. And we see that Jesus prayed many times. Sometimes we don't know the content of those prayers, but many times we do. I mean, in the Sermon on the Mount, he, he said, when you pray, say, Our Father. But also in Matthew chapter 11, as, as Jesus is, is praying in front of others, he says, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned, and you have revealed them to little children. He prayed to his father. Then when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, he called on the power of, of God to raise Lazarus. And as they took away the stone in front of the tomb where Lazarus was, Jesus looked up and said, Father, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here that they may believe that you sent me. Jesus called on the Father. In the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus was in dark, his darkest hours, he prayed. And how did he pray? Abba, Father, he said. Everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but your will be done. And as Jesus himself went to the cross, and as he was moving toward it, he prayed for his disciples. In John 17, the entire chapter of John 17 is a prayer from Jesus. And he begins the prayer, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son, that your son may glorify you. 
And then again and again throughout that chapter, he calls on his father, 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 because he knows his father is listening. Even on the cross, Jesus cried out and he prayed three times. He prayed, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And then later in Luke 23, he prays, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Every single prayer of Jesus begins with calling on his Father, except for one. Except for one. The only time when Jesus cries out and prays to the Father is when he's also on the cross and he cries out, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, it was that moment on the cross as Jesus was taking on the sins of the world that he felt the separation from the Father that Jesus willingly took on our sins that separate us from God, our Heavenly Father, in order that we can draw near to God and be called His children. 1 John 3, 1 says, How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we can be called children of God. And so we are. And that's because Jesus took our place on the cross allowing us to be His children. You see, when we pray, we can have that intimate relationship with God because He is our Heavenly Father. And that God is good. At the end of this passage in Luke 11, Jesus says, Ask and it will be given to you. When you pray, seek and you will find Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and anyone who knocks, uh, anyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and the one who knocks, the door will be opened. For which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, not the Father, your Father in heaven, give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? You see, Jesus' greatest answer to prayer is that His Holy Spirit is poured into us that we too can cry out, Abba, Father, that we too can boldly approach the throne of grace, that we can live in that intimate, dynamic relationship with the living God for which we have been created for. It is the purpose of your life. It is the purpose that gives purpose to every other purpose and initiative that we can give ourselves to in life that we can experience the purpose we are created for through Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, today we will come to the table, the table that reminds us of Jesus' sacrifice. Jesus, who was the Son of God, who died in order that we too can be called the children of God and can run to the Father.
Will you pray with me? Almighty God, thank you. Thank you that you created us for the purpose of being in a relationship with you, not just for now, but for eternal, for eternity. Lord, we pray that as we come to the table, you will meet us here. That we, Lord, will run to the Father. That we will experience his embrace around us as he has run to us through Jesus. Lord, I pray that today you will help us internalize the reality of your love. In Jesus' name, amen. St. James is a Presbyterian church located in Littleton, Colorado. Find us on the web at www.sjprez.org or email us at contact at sjprez.org.